Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning, we're going to be in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 35 and 36. And the last time the message was titled, Can You Tell the Difference? Because we talked about shepherds, not literal ones that are out in the field with fuzzy little creatures. Uh, God speaks about shepherds. He speaks about leaders as shepherds. And it's kind of fascinating how we look at this And we see that we can make two applications, one towards spiritual or religious leaders and others towards, believe it or not, civic leaders. Boy, in 2021, in this area, things have really changed because what we find is that shepherds, whether civic or spiritual, are supposed to care for those that they govern. They're supposed to watch over them. They're supposed to be concerned for their needs. And the question is, how far as a culture have we strayed from that ideal? When we look at the departure, large departure from Judeo-Christian values, we see leaders becoming more tyrannical or do as I say, not as I do. We're less concerned for the weak and the afflicted, unfortunately, usually only three or four months before election season. Right. But folks, this is the way we have to move when we look at Bible prophecy. Very important. Revelation 17, 18 and 19. If you didn't get it, you can get it free off the website. I talked about this type of aggressive push, especially in the Western world. And we're seeing it happen rapidly in the United States. This forcible push to erode our sovereignties and move us into this global system, whether we like it or not, because that sets the stage for the Antichrist, who's an aggressive globalist. We know that most most likely he's alive today and involved in politics. So, I mean, we talk about inflation. We talk about the price of home heating oil going up. And what do our leaders say? Well, it's either where Bloomberg News, I just saw this. Uh, and again, these are, this is a amazing circulation in American culture. Our leaders, Secretary Granholm, Energy Secretary, when asked about, you know, you know, opening up the pipelines and getting more energy independence, her response, I saw it on the video, was she laughed about it and didn't answer the, the question. Bloomberg News says, well, you know what? Americans demand too much. Inflation is good. We should be more like the Europeans and demand less. So what we're seeing is instead of these shepherds caring for their constituents, they're basically forcing us to go into a system which unfortunately is is going to fulfill Bible prophecy. Now, of course, God does predict the future. Unfortunately, sometimes it's a sad future. So moving, but you know what the good thing is? After that happens, the Lord's kingdom comes, right? We have disciples, we talked about it. They talked about it in communion, etc. So today the message is titled, No Favorites. No Favorites. Now, I think this is going to be a blessing to some of you who maybe struggle in life. Maybe you look at your family situation, you look what you've come from, and you feel... You know, you just kind of feel like the world has kind of put you down, that people have put you down. And you almost feel like, well, what would God want for me? I mean, what would he do for me? Why would he care about me? 
So I think this is really going to bless you because you look out at the world and you almost see that some appear to be favored. But don't confuse having much with favoritism. So we're going to see that God treats everyone equally and he loves us all equally. And we're going to look at this in five parts. Something... um, that uh, is so great because we love taking, and I never take credit for it, we love taking suggestions. A gentleman came up to me after service uh, last Sunday and he said, sometimes you go a little fast. He goes, can you put, when you break it down into parts, on the <laughs> on the screen? So we did it. But So thank you to that gentleman. Maybe it'll help you um, just kind of section the sermon and see, you know, so you know where you're nav- navigating, so to speak. So jumping into chapter 35... It says, moreover, the Lord of the, the word of the Lord came to me, mean Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, saying, son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it and say to it, thus says the Lord God, behold, O Mount Seir, I am against you. I will stretch out my hand against you and make you desolate, make you most desolate. I shall lay your cities waste and you shall be desolate. Then you shall know that I am the Lord because you have had an ancient or an everlasting hatred and have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity when their iniquity came to an end. And this is referring to those waning days and months in the 586 BC Babylonian siege of Jerusalem. We're going to get to that. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood and blood shall pursue you. Since you have not hated blood or blood shed, therefore blood shall pursue you. Thus, I will make Mount Seir most desolate and cut off from it the one who leaves and the one who returns. And I will fill its mountains with the slain on your hills and in your valleys and in your ravines. Those who were slain by the sword shall fail. You wonder why a lot of churches don't preach the Old Testament anymore. But I did a lot of research on this, so we're going to make it all explainable. I will make you perpetually desolate. and Your city shall be uninhabited. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Because you have said... This was the nation in general, with some exceptions. These two nations, in other words, the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel, and these two countries shall be mine, and we will possess them, although the Lord was there. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will do according to your anger and according to the envy which you showed in your hatred against them, and I will make myself known among them when I judge you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have heard all your blasphemies, which you have spoken against the mountains of Israel, saying, They are desolate. They are given to us to consume. Thus with your mouth you have boasted against me and multiplied your words against me. I have heard them. Thus says the Lord God, the whole earth will rejoice when I make you desolate. As you rejoice because the inheritance of the house of Israel was desolate, so I will do to you. You shall be desolate, O Mount Seir, as well as all of Edom, all of it, then they shall know that I am the Lord. So one out of five is the judgment of Edom. Now, when you read the Bible out of context, you can come to the wrong conclusion about the character of God or things that are happening. That's why when we take a book that we study, we go from chapter one all the way to the last chapter and put it all in context. This really goes with the former chapters addressing Egypt, Ammon, Moab, and even Israel, in that each nation had blessings, they had natural resources, but they also were disciplined when they committed wickedness or evil behavior. So Mount Seir was the center of Edomite culture. Interesting about the Edomites were they were the descendants of Esau, who was actually Jacob's brother. So they, they had this visceral hatred 
of the culture and even really probably the spirituality of the Israelites. But they were, when you go back far enough, they actually were related, which makes it very strange. Um, He, God through Ezekiel, spoke about Edom, Ammon, Moab, Egypt, right, in chapter 25. But here, this is specific to the uh, post-Babylonian invasion of Israel. So what were the sins of the Edomites? Well, verse 5, they had an ancient or everlasting hatred. They shed blood of the Israelites. They also helped the Babylonians when they were conquering They kind of threw in with them and beat a person when they were down. They were abusive to them. They helped the Edomites in harming the Israel. I'm sorry, the Babylonians in harming the Israelites. But in general, they were harboring emotions of hatred and envy that are toxic and they're destructive. And I got to tell you, a whole culture, right? You you look at this and you go, what? The majority of them were like this. Where are we going in American culture? Right? Where is the, the mercy? Where is the compassion? Right? Even out, outside of the church, um, you know, it's a toxic culture. The social media culture can be toxic. You see something on TV, an event, and immediately the knives come out. People jump in to weigh in before all the facts are in. So we've become, you know, we're supposed to be salt and light as the church, as Christians. Right. Hopefully we're, we're doing our part on an individual basis, but the culture has become very toxic. Similar to Edomite behavior, these emotions can lead to violence if not dealt with, but if left to fester. Now, this is something interesting about forgiveness. Somebody said, um, and there's different expressions about, you know, harboring resentment or hatred uh, or a grudge. It says it's like drinking poison every day and expecting the other person to die, right? So when we, when we harbor those things, it changes our physiology. It actually helps to produce catabolic hormones that can harm us viscerally. So forgiveness is not only releases the other person, but it also releases ourselves. Amen? And listen, if we've lived long enough, we've been upset with somebody, and the more we ruminate on it, the more we hurt ourselves and put ourselves in a bad mood. You know, don't, as the expression says, don't let that person rent so much space in your head. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, God's ways are always the best ways. I look at it this way as well. Good parenting. We talk about c- culture. We talk about society. We talk about a baby dedication that we just did. Good parenting doesn't receive much attention in the media. However, it's one of the most important callings for a society. And I mean spiritual parents too. As Christians, sometimes we take uh, people under our wing that they're not biologically related, but we kind of sort of have this mentoring type of relationship, Right. Um, but it's, it's so important. We can either produce godly children or a tragic alternative. So God provides the remedy for all this dysfunction, and he gave the Edomites time to repent, but they refused to do so. Verses 10 and 13 is a look. Okay, God can read our minds. He knows what we're thinking. Like He kind of gives us a picture inside of the mindset of the Edomites where they not only had an issue with the Israelites, but they had an issue with God himself. And you see this transition from mental, psychologically harboring these feelings to actually now carrying them out because there's an opportunity. You know, if you ever watch these uh, detective shows and 
these these horrific crimes that are committed, it didn't just happen. It usually started somewhere. It was something in the mind that was was allowed to cultivate and turns into a physical act. Here's a scripture. Genesis 4, 6 through 7. Um, Cain and Abel, right? Cain uh, produces a sacrifice that's substandard and he knows it. His brother Abel produces a beautiful sacrifice and the Lord accepts it. But Check this out. God actually goes to Cain and has a little father-son conversation. This is amazing. The Lord himself. And let me read this. It says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Man, these are rules for life, aren't they? He said, and if you don't do well, sin lies at the door and sin's desire is to rule over you, but you should rule over it. And you know what Cain does after that conversation? He goes out and he kills his brother. Amazing, isn't it? God is always there. God's word is always there. God gave us a conscience. But some people, their consciences, they sear them. And then they go out and do terrible things. So really good application here. So if there's anybody walked in here and they're really angry and it's consumed your whole week and you've been seething about something. Um, this is definitely a good scripture for you this morning. I, I can't see inside people's minds, but only God can, right? Verse chapter 36, continuing on, he says, and you son of man prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, oh, mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has said of you, aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. We're going to take your land. Therefore, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, because they made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations. And you are taken up by the lips of talkers and slanderers by the people. Therefore, on mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, the desolate Waste and the cities that have been forsaken, which became plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and spiteful minds in order to plunder its open country. It's amazing how some people can find joy in wicked things. That's really demented. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, and the valleys. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury because you have borne the shame of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have lifted my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. So two out of five is the judgment of the nations. So Edom is also mentioned in chapter 36. Right? He lists the evil that the Israelites back then suffered at the hand of other nations. Now, just to be fair, just to be fair, how many chapters have we covered in this book where God spoke about the, the sins and the wickedness of the Israelites? Hence, the title is No Favoritism. You know, we cover this. Sometimes people ask me these questions. They just have questions. Sometimes we cover this in the Q&A sessions. Well, I don't, I don't understand, right? And listen, I don't, I was blessed because when I got saved, I got saved in a church where they actually taught the Bible. So it's great. I've read the whole Bible a few times. 
Um, sadly for some believers, and they'll say, yeah, I went to this church 10 to 15 years and we barely covered any scripture. So they're trying to play catch up, which is a good thing. There's no shame in that to learn God's word. But, you know, we do try to help explain it in context and in totality. So no favorites, no favorites. Romans 2.11 says there is no partiality with God. He doesn't love you any less than he loved King David, than he loves uh, a pastor, than he loves, I don't know, you, you name it, your siblings. And, and I hear this. Sometimes people say, you know, I, yeah, I grew up in, in this family and I sort of was like the, the black sheep of the family. I'm, I've heard it many a times. Well, unfortunately, that's bad parenting. You know, that's not a reflection of how God feels about you. So there is no favoritism. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you came in here feeling down on yourself, um, God says, listen, to all people, there's blessings and there's discipline. And don't misunderstand, again, having a lot for blessings. Because some of those folks, especially some of the elites that run the world, probably not going to make it to heaven if they don't repent. Well, they definitely won't make it if they don't repent. So enjoy it while it's here because eternity is a very, very long time. And everyone has the opportunity to turn to the living God, to change, to repent and receive Christ. But many don't. Continuing on, verse 8, he says, But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. Now, this is important because at the time this was written, you know, there was a lot of uninhabited portions of Israel. There were, uh, because of war and invasion, natural resources were taken by the invaders. Uh, there was a lot of buildings that were burned to the ground. People were taken forcibly to the Babylonian Empire. So in your mind, when you see these things that God speaks about that are really nice, these are future occurrences, but he's giving the people hope. For indeed, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, all of it, and the city shall be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will soon multiply, I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bear young. I will make you inhabited as in former times, and do better for you than at your beginnings. You shall know that I am the Lord." Yes, I will cause men to walk on you, my people Israel. They shall take possession of you, and you shall be their inheritance. No more shall you bereave them of their children. I'm going to come back to that. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour men and bereave your nation of children. Therefore, you shall devour men no more, nor bereave your nation anymore, says the Lord God. Nor will I let you hear the taunts of the nations anymore, nor bear the reproach of the peoples anymore nor shall you cause your nation to stumble anymore, says the Lord God. Three out of five is the future promise of Israel's regathering. The future promise of Israel's regathering. Right? This is powerful, again, because the Israelites were divided, really, at this point in time, into two camps. They were suffering, the ones who survived the Babylonian War that ended in 586 B.C. They were in Jerusalem you know, scrounging for food and, and, and resources. And then the other group were forcibly taken, sadly, as slaves to the Babylonian Empire. So 
some of the Israelites, many thousands, tens of thousands of them, were in Babylon. And they were, you know, prisoner war camps, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, so when, when this scripture goes out, it's like refreshing because, wow, so the future is, you know, sometimes we look at our lives and we see a difficulty. And I hear this all the time. You know, it's a diagnosis from the doctor or a financial situation or uh, a relationship issue. And I, I often say, I hear myself saying, this is a season. This is a season. You know, give God a chance to work through this. Um, and, and we can be impatient and I can be impatient. I want the season to be a very quick season. You know, I want it to be a short winter. <laughs> but um, but this is what happens. Uh, and, and as humans, we, we see our circumstances and we're like, and we get frustrated. We get frustrated with God because he's not moving fast enough. But, you know, God promises great things. And I can tell you, if you're a Christian, there's going to be a time where his glorious kingdom is ushered in. Right? All the followers that followed Christ and then he ascended into heaven, they all held on to that hope even through the Roman persecution. And now, you know where they are. They're in glory. So, a um, lot, lot going on here. Uh, he was making sure they understood this wouldn't remain like this forever. And a few decades later from this prophecy, what happened? The Persians take over from the Babylonians. They conquer them. And they have favor on the Israelites and send them back to Jerusalem to rebuild. The walls, the, uh, the temple, pretty powerful stuff. But you do see this ebb and flow based on, again, the cycles that I talked about last Sunday. And in 1948, they become a nation again. So uh, very interesting stuff. Verse 15, there'd be no more, or verse 13 through 14. What's this business about devouring men and bereaving children? So what God was saying is sort of you're going to go from rags to riches, right? Uh, the current situation, and a lot of it was self-caused. Let's be clear about that, right? Sometimes we do things in our own lives, and we, we, we have problems, and it's self-caused. I mean, I'm honest enough to look back at my life and say, hmm, you made some poor choices in life, didn't you? Uh, but, you know, still God can work through those poor choices, so the Israelites, you know, they had areas that were inhospitable to raising children. They had um, wickedness that they had caused themselves that, that uh, caused bloodshed and death. Also, there was, you know, inhospitability to raising children and, you know, having a, a civil society because of a lot of the invasions due to their wickedness. But the bottom line is that they'll go from sorrow to restoration. Verse 15, no more taunts of the nations, uh, bearing the reproach of the people. Again, 1948. Now, when I talked about this last Sunday, I talked about the cycles. But then I talked about how in his prophecies, God would speak about the future future. Yeah, a few decades, you're going to go back to uh, Jerusalem. Unfortunately, decadency is going to find its way into the culture. And you guys are going to kind of go through this. And again, their choice, this ebb and flow and bring on your own sorrow. But let me, let me speak about some future future to them. They could not comprehend what would happen in the 20th century, uh, regathering in 1948, becoming a, a nation again, and also not comprehending the millennial kingdom, which we talk about a lot, right? And this is where there's no more war. There's no, nations don't need walls anymore. They don't need weapons. God ceases all that. And, and I've talked about this a lot in the Isaiah study. So if you want to learn more about that, definitely get the Isaiah study.
So a lot of good stuff happening. He says, no longer will you cause your nation to stumble anymore. And this is a stumbling into sin. Now, this can only happen in the future millennial kingdom under Christ, Messiah ruling from Jerusalem, which is our future, 2021, somewhere in our future we're going to see this event, which is going to be pretty neat. So I just want to make sure that I uh, say that the desolation to blessings, uh, Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament, it says that God can restore the years the locusts have eaten. And if you've ever done a study on, (laughs) it still happens today, even with modern agriculture, modern pesticides. Man, when some of these places get a locust storm, they destroy everything. Like, where's the crops? Those little tiny bugs, man, just chewing their little bit. But when you have millions of them little bugs chewing, everything's gone by the time the locusts depart. So God was saying, as bad as that seems, and again, this is a metaphor, I can restore the years the locusts have eaten. And folks, he can do that in your lives too. Whatever you're sitting here with, whatever's bothering you, whatever's heavy on your heart, God can restore that. You know, these promises are not, again, no favoritism, right? That's the way the Lord operates. He loves when people turn to him. He loves when they turn back to him. And he just can't wait to bless. That's, that's the type of God he is. 16. He says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. Right? We talked about this. To me, their way was like the uncleanness of a woman and her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols, which they had defiled it. So a lot of shedding of the blood. Um, there's a lot of mention of blood and it's a little foreign to us. But in the old covenant, there was a way that blood was dealt with. And, um, you know, how it was a a sacred thing. We see this in Leviticus uh, 17. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus fulfills that in the first century. So some of the things that I read, you you scratch your head. But this is is things that are germane to the old covenant. So just want to get that out there. So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the land, and yet they have gone out of his land. So the, uh, this is good stuff. These last two points are so key. Is that others would look at them and say, well, didn't they have God guiding them? And, you know, weren't, wasn't his Shekinah glory in the temple? And the Israelites, um, just like some believers today, did such a poor job of representing God that they, through their behaviors and their poor representation, they defamed the name of God. And listen, I'm going to get to this part, right? I uh, was surfing the internet and looked at, you know, and again, just different people, social media. Why do people not want to come to church? Why do people not want to come to God? In the top three reasons, and it depends on who you're talking to, is the behavior of some Christians. Hmm. So whether we're looking at the Old Testament or the New Testament, right, we see the same thing. But there's hope. Verse 21, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, 
which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of the countries, and bring you into your own land. So four out of five is, this is the reason for Israel's judgment. So again, when you read the Bible in context, hey, the Edomites, oh, it's so sad what happened to Edomites. And God's like, well, these are the list of things that the Edomites did to cause this. The Egyptians, we spent one sermon, I did three chapters. I went to the 25th uh, dynasty of the Egyptians and the the Cushite uh, kings, and it was was fascinating stuff. But God was, was working in Egypt too, right? And, and by destroying the line of the pharaohs, which was something he said he would do, he took away leader worship. Like in today, they don't worship their president in Egypt. So God did it as a merciful thing, right? And he, and he just works with, he works with us individually. He works with nations. He does what he can to discipline when discipline is going to bring forth repentance and then restoration, um, and for everyone, he has a different way based on their circumstances to work things out. So the reason for Israel's judgment, no favoritism. Verse 18, her, her sins were shedding of the, the blood. She shed the blood of her own people. Um, some had this sick practice of child uh, sacrifice, right? It was a, it's a very disturbing thing to read. Why would you do that? So they defiled their own land with idolatry and, and evil. And um, a lot of chapters chronicle this. Verse 20, Israel profaned God's name. And again, what, was, what were the Israelites supposed to do? They were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. Right? And, and again, some people will say, well, what about the term God's chosen people? Isn't there favoritism? With him calling out Abraham and starting this line, especially the line of the Israelites, came a heavy responsibility. I'm going to bring my temple. It's going to be built in Jerusalem. Part of my glory, you're going to see it. It's going to be manifested. It's going to be in the Holy of Holies. You're going to see it come and go at times. And, you know, you have privilege, but you have major responsibility because God was saying to that nation, because I'm here, I want you to go out and show those pagan nations who I am so they could come into the fold. And many of them did. But he, was, he had a, a great irritation or an anger when, by and large, the leadership didn't. And then he would remove his protective hand, right? So everything, it, it all works out in the end. There's a few uh, scriptures in the New Testament where Jesus speaks about certainly Christians. He also speaks about certainly religious and spiritual leaders that set a bad example. We can see this in 1 Corinthians. We can see it in 1 John. We can see it in Revelation when he speaks to the churches in the beginning. We can see it in 1 Peter. We can see it in the book of Acts. And he devotes a whole chapter in Matthew 23 to the corrupt religious establishment that were pushing people away from God instead of drawing them toward God. And he was able to kind of just let that system totally implode upon itself. Whereas the two main characters, the two main groups, they don't exist anymore. So God knows what he's doing. He certainly knows what he's doing. Um, when you look at the Old Testament, Second Samuel 12, I mean, this is so, so important, folks, because he shows no favoritism and he wants to reach the most remote person. And for those, like for us, Bible-believing Christians, what excuse do we have for 
you know, poor behavior or unconcern, right? James says that if you, if you really have Christ in your heart, you'll have compassion for others. You won't look at someone who's hungry and without clothes and just say, oh, yeah, I hope you find some food, and I'm paraphrasing, and you, you go on your way, right? We have great responsibility as sealed with the Holy Spirit, having the word, being in a church where we study the word, do we have an excuse for not loving others into the kingdom? I like, I like to say getting them across the finish line, right? So lots going on here. Second Samuel 12, the prophet Nathan comes to King David, who was a great guy, had a heart after God, but he got caught up in this, this sin that was a snowball. And God sent the prophet to the king to rebuke him to his face. Now the king could have taken out a sword and cut his head off because that's happened, Right. So the prophet Nathan was very brave and he said to David, because of his sins, by what you did, you have given great occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Basically, David, not only does everybody in the kingdom know, boy, gossip travels fast today through the internet and social media, <laughs> but you know, word of mouth is, is, is like the tried and true gossip method, right? So back in the kingdom, not only did the Israelites know what happened, but the surrounding nations got wind of what happened. And he was basically saying, not that God uh, is fragile and his reputation needs to be. What, what he was saying was that you're, you're making it harder for the Lord, and of course he can overcome, to win these pagan nations to salvation because of your bad example. Your bad example. And it goes back to the message of a true shepherd and a false shepherd. David was a true shepherd, but at times he had really, really questionable moments. And David, when he heard that, was cut to the heart and he repented and he suffered consequences for it. Moses uh, portrayed the second time that the, the water was to come out of the rock, he strikes the rock. Moses is irritated. You know, he's leading a group of millions of people out in the wilderness and they're doing a lot of complaining. And Moses let his emotions get the best of him. And he said, you want basically to get the water out of the rock, God was going to provide it. But he struck the rock when he's supposed to speak to it, a metaphor of God's gentleness. He made God seem like an angry, he's always mad at everybody type of God. And God said, for this, for that representation of me, I can't let you go into the promised land. Right? So pretty, pretty, uh, again, Moses, right? We saw movies about Moses. But he couldn't go into the promised land. So it's so important to represent God in a way where he is a God of love. I mean, he does have to discipline bad behavior, but he is a God of love and wants everyone, the Bible tells us, to come to salvation and to be in heaven with him. But again, we have that thing called free will. It's a choice that we make. Um, Now, let me balance this, Christians. Does this mean that we're to be perfect? No. I can start with myself saying that I'm not perfect. We have our off days. We have our off seasons. And there's times that we just want the Lord to minister to us because we're empty. We're exhausted and we need to be filled. That's the truth. This isn't one of those churches where we pretend and we make believe and we tell the congregation to do things that are unreasonable and impossible. You know, however, there are believers who are, maybe they have a lot and they're braggarts. Maybe they are insensitive to the sufferings of their friends and their only concern is their family and their life and how they're portrayed. 
You know, uh, there's been a lot of psychological studies. I know I pick on social media a lot, uh, but you know, oh, that my friend, that everything's perfect for them. Is it really? You really think that's true? Sometimes people who have deep insecurities have to portray themselves as having perfect lives to fulfill that need, to fulfill those insecurities. That's a dysfunction. So we all have our ups and downs. There's times that we need to just go in a corner or take a walk and just ask the Lord to minister to us. However, when we go out into the world, we want to make sure that by our example, we show people that God is love, he shows no favoritism, and he wants everybody to come to heaven, right? So it's, um, we talked about salt and light. We covered this. If you didn't get it, the Q&A was really powerful this last Wednesday. We have it up online. And a lot of people ask questions about salt and light and God's nature and stuff. So we did, we put a lot of stuff there. Uh, last few verses, verse 25. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. What does that look like? I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people. I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. I will multiply the fruit of your trees and increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe or despise yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this as the Lord God, but let it be known, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, of house of, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me. To do this for them, I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days. So shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Five out of five, these next few minutes, is probably the most important out of anything that was said today. Because the point of five is what's most important in the end? And the answer where we spend eternity. We need to be eternity-minded. When we're eternity-minded, that guides us in the present, right? Eternity-minded. And when we're eternity-minded, we're concerned about other people, not just ourselves, also. It's a great, you know, part of my prayer life, you know, I pray about a lot of things, but, you know, I pray, Lord, I just pray for a great revival in this world, in this country, I pray for a great harvest of souls. Lord, I don't see what the Holy Spirit is doing, but I know that the Holy Spirit is doing something. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, I look out at this world and it's, it's sad because a lot of people have no hope. Um, so my, my prayer for, for God, and listen, God loves people. Jesus used a, a very odd metaphor in the first century about John the Baptist, about people cramming into the kingdom of heaven during this first century time where John the Baptist heralds Jesus, Jesus comes. And it's almost like this, the, all these souls are being crowded into the kingdom of heaven. It's something interesting to read. Um, it's a picture spiritually of us not seeing that on a spiritual level, God is changing the hearts of many. And I'm curious when I get to heaven, I'd love to know um, this is going to be, heaven's going to be great. I mean, it's all eternity. I don't know what the itinerary is. I didn't get a, a memo or I didn't get an attachment in my email, but I would just love to know what, what revivals looked like through the ages. Lord, what was the 2020 revival? Because the media, all they showed was burning cities and people at each other's throats and parties can't get together, political parties. But I know that the Lord was doing something. And in some of the worst times in history, World War II, right, there was, there was a lot of soldiers who were just terrified and, and just prayed to the Lord. Um, and there were revivals after World War II, uh, after the Holocaust. So we see the horrible things that people do, but we don't often see what's going on under the radar, what God is doing. And I just would be curious, this my, my childlike nature that God calls me to have, Daddy, show me. Show me what you were doing when we all thought everything was lost. Amen? Amen. All right. Everybody's awake. That's awesome. So to be eternity-minded, he says, God says, not only do I want to bring the restorative process to Israel, and I have to stop there as well, because when you look at the millennial kingdom, when you look at the future of no more war, and so none of the nations have to fight and shed blood. And it also speaks about delegations from nations, Egypt, uh, Jordan, the United States, even if we even have those borders anymore, I don't know, that come and the, these delegations come to Christ who's ruling in Jerusalem. What's that going to look like? Right? He, you know, the animal kingdom is at peace with itself. Incredible stuff happening. But what's most important here is, yeah, God's like, I'm going to do restoration. Great. And we see a lot of this mixed in. But what he says, though, is that he wants to give his people a new heart and a new spirit. We saw this in Ezekiel 11 and 18, and it's coming up again. Why, you know, when you see repetition in the scripture, it's something to pay attention to. So this happens actually through Jesus Christ in the first century. Let me read to you Jeremiah 31. And then we'll, we'll close, Jeremiah 31. And, and I say to my Jewish friends, you've got to read all of the Old Testament, especially in the prophetic books. In the Old Covenant, God is telling them that I'm making a new covenant. It's no secret. It's in here. It's in Isaiah. It's everywhere. So verse 31, behold, he's speaking to the Jewish people, right? B.C. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant or a new testament. A new legal agreement with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that it took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. So when you break a legal agreement, even today, if one party breaks it, there could be sanctions. 
but it's null and void. They broke the terms of the agreement that two parties made. So the old covenant was broken through various means, and God's saying, i got to make another covenant. I have to make another testament with you. Right? He's very explanatory. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God. They shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. You don't have to tell your buddy, oh, you need to know the Lord. This is the new heart and the new spirit, the Holy Spirit. When you're a Christian and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't have to have somebody remind you, it's been two weeks, did you talk to the Lord? Oh, I totally forgot about him, you know. You're sealed with with the Holy Spirit, right? For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And this happens through Jesus Christ. So... With a new spirit, literally the Holy Spirit, sealing believers who believe in Jesus, what happens? Their heart changes. Okay, this is Hebrew poetry. Over the years, Greco-Roman, European poetry has similar uh, things. What God is not saying, I'm going to take out the four-chamber cardiac muscle that sits in your rib cage, and I'm going to give you another one. Some people are like, yeah, that's great. I got, I got a valve problem. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, lebed in Hebrew was a picture of a combination of, of the, the emotions, the will, and the intellect. It's what makes us who we are. Every choice that we make every day is based on our emotions, our will, and our intellect. But when God <clears throat> seals us with his Holy Spirit, what I just said changes. Because now it's more turned towards God in every decision of every moment of every day. Amen? So new spirit comes in, and no more... Know the Lord because the hearts changed. In verse 31, they loathed their sins. And I speak for myself too, before I'm a believer, especially on the weekend when I was preparing my social life, I was preparing to sin, whatever the case may be. Um, You know, alcohol and a whole bunch of other stuff came with it. And now when we sin, we're not happy that we sin. Now, When you sin, because you will, because we all do, you're not supposed to condemn yourself. But it's healthy to feel a sense of disappointment that we we fell short when we we could have been going in a different direction and we, we wanted to please our Father in heaven. So that's me. When I sin, I'm disappointed with myself. I hate it. Whereas in my old life, I didn't care. If you said sin or I heard a preaching, I would think that was funny. Those people. And now I am those people, right? So it's an amazing thing. Um, Just again, before we close, Zechariah 12 speaks about a national rebirth in the Messiah. Now, we talked about this at the Q&A, is that the spiritual rebirth comes before the physical rebirth. So in the first century, Christ came, new spirit, new heart. There's a spiritual rebirth, more important. Spiritual is always more important than physical. However, First century AD, somewhere past 2021, there's going to be a national rebirth. Zechariah 12, they will actually see the Lord. And the Israelites in general will all come to the same conclusion. This was the Messiah. And they, but they will see that in the second coming. So, you know, it, it can be a little, it's a learning curve. You know, it's, it's pretty heavy stuff. So let me just say this, that is that God shows no favoritism. God loves all people, and that's not just a cute cliche. It is the truth. And God wants all people to come and be saved. And if you're here this morning, if you're watching, 
you know, on the live stream, you might be wondering, well, does God want me? My answer to you is yes. If you're sitting here for whatever reason you showed up and you don't know the Lord, does God want me? The answer is yes. He wants to adopt you into his spiritual family and love on you like you can't imagine. So new spirit, new heart, getting into heaven is is really the most important thing because this life is short. Um, If it's something you're interested in, um, we'll definitely lead you in a prayer of salvation if that's what you want to do. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossroads. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.